Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Yanya Boston. Yanya's a Sydney-based drummer, percussionist, uh, musical director and producer. Yanya's played with a plethora of top Australian acts, Tina Arena, Tap Dogs, Natalie Bass and Waif, Evan and the Brave, amongst yeah, heaps of others. Um, his current projects are Joy, Tandy Phoenix and Karen Lee Andrews. He was recently on the Deconstructed Drummer podcast with Jeff Dukakis. Um, that's a really great listen. I've got the, the link to that in the show notes, so please check that out. So, without further hesitation, ladies and gentlemen, the very groovy Yanya Boston. Cheers. So I think we're rolling. Sweet. Yanya Boston. Yeah, we're, we're on. Got your levels there? Got my levels. Yeah. Check. One, two. Sweet. Yanya Boston. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Welcome to my couch. Thank you very much. It's a warm couch. Yeah, yeah it's a stinking hot day. We had to turn the aircon off though because it'll get too much noise. Too much noise. So it's um it's Melbourne Cup day here in Australia. The day we're recording this. Um, what a day, huh? What a day! And you had a gig today. I did have a gig today, actually. It was an interesting one. Um, I just got back about an hour ago, and it was, it was pretty disheartening, to be honest. I was playing. Uh, I was playing with great people at uh, at a great venue, but it's it's a victim of the Sydney, um, not even the lockout mentality, but it's a, that the no vibe mentality. Yep. Where the volume is so low that it's point. It's literally pointless, pointless being yeah. there. It's pointless, and you know, full respect to the venues that continue to offer gigs to us um, under those conditions. Yep. Whether it's just for write-off purposes or for whatever, it keeps us employed and that's great. But you really got to go, you, when you go to those gigs, you got to be in the mindset that you're just there to pay your rent, which is totally fine. But was it, today was a tricky one for me because I, I came off of a really big festival on the weekend playing yeah. to a few thousand, playing original music to a few thousand people. You know, everyone was into it. It was a really good thing. And I've got another, I fly to Melbourne tomorrow for a, another thing, and uh, which will be somewhat like that I yep. hope yep. and uh, so I was sort of in that mindset still and I, I, I kind of got to this one and yeah you know people are excited about dressing up to see the horses race yeah which I don't agree with anyway no not at all um, but, you know each to their own I'm just not, I'm just not into it mm-hmm. but um, yeah no one wanted to listen to music and even if they did to those who would have enjoyed what we were doing it was at such a low level that they wouldn't have heard it anyway. Mm. I could hear people talking like 20 metres away from me. Yeah, it's no good, eh? But it was a gig and, yeah, you know, it. that's why I can pay the rent. Yeah, that's good. We can relax on this comfortable couch. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And how many how many of those do you sort of do you sort of see a month these days, those types of gigs? Yeah, I used to do off... Oh, let me... Meaning, let me the, meaning the vibe, not, not 
how many gigs are you getting a month? Not so many. There, there's a okay. there's a couple of ven- there's there's a couple of venues where where that's the case that I that I play now. Um, but for me personally, like this year, this kind of last two years has has been um, fairly. Uh, in, I've worked consistently, but I haven't consistently been in Sydney doing that circuit. Okay. Uh, I've been travelling a fair bit, so I haven't done that many of those gigs of okay. late. But they're out there, yeah. and um, again, full credit to them to keep us employed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's know. cool. Yeah, cool. Um, I just want to give a shout out to um, Jeff, who's just recently did a podcast with you. Yeah. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Um, and around the time, like we, you and I had booked to do this. Um, wasn't too long after then that Jeff's podcast came out, and yeah. at the time I didn't know about Jeff's deconstructed drummer podcast. So right, okay. I was like, "Oh man, I feel feel terrible," you know. So you we know, could sit in silence for an hour. We could, yeah. But no, no we, yeah. All credit to Jeff. You know, he's um, he said, "Go for it," and here we are. Oh uh, yeah. yeah well, I've, I can, and and I can and and, on. and the link to to his podcast of your interview will be in the show notes of this podcast. Oh, cheers. Yeah, uh, so. Well, while we're talking about it, that was, you know, it's my debut podcast, that one. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was very Absolutely. good Absolutely. And, you know, well, it's funny, I, I was, I think I, when I posted it, I was talking, I, I listen to podcasts a lot, but yeah, like yeah. Cold Case Murders, Serial Murders, and oh. I, I can relax to it. It's light For stuff. better or worse. Relaxations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For better or worse, I'm quite, I can relax and really delve into that stuff, but, it doesn't freak me out at all. Sure. I can go to sleep with the graphic details of people being dismembered or, or <laughs> just horrible things. Yeah. Oh, when I say it out loud, it's really bad. But um, <laughs> but then Jeff sent me the copy of the podcast I did with him. Yep. And uh, like the day before it came out, just to see if there was anything I wanted taken out. And I had listened to it, and I've never been so tense <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Listening to. Yeah. Anything like I, I don't know why I, I was, was so tense by myself just listening to it. My entire jaw clenched, like I was really conscious of. I was trying to relax my muscles, but it would just go from my jaw to my shoulders to my hands. Wow, man, because um, it was fascinating. I don't know why you were. T- I thought it was fantastic. I don't. I don't even remember yeah. what I said. Well, I listened back to it. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, um, you know what? Uh, and again, credit to Jeff. I, I've been contacted by a, a bunch of drummers who I really respect. Um, and people who I've never met and never spoken to have since reached out to me. Fantastic. Uh, who enjoyed it and people from overseas and stuff. So that's, awesome. that's cool. So yeah. the problem, this is the sophomore podcast now. So it's yeah, the yeah. second, it's the <laughs> second album. There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, here. not at all. I'm taking a different direction. Yeah. We'll, we'll just pre- go the pre- silence. Yeah, <laughs> the, pre- the pressure too for me as the professional podcast interviewer that I am uh, <laughs> to not ask the same questions you know but um but no, no, we'll take good. we'll take it somewhere yeah that of course we will so let's um let's roll right back um right to the beginning so you're you're from Adelaide I'm from Adelaide yep yeah um yep. I, I'm from Adelaide I wasn't born there mm-hmm. I was born in Holland okay yep. yeah but I was only there for like five months in Holland uh, okay and then um I was in Adelaide for the first kind of 28 years in my life and then I moved to Sydney Yep, and um, yeah, Adelaide. Adelaide is a good group, a good breeding ground for for all the small cities are a, a good breeding ground for for creatives, you know, because um, there's not that pressure to to be a full time muso, um, you know, making your income purely from music because it's it'd be quite difficult to do there, and yep. 
Um, whereas here in Sydney, there's all the, you know, the industry is here, you know, the labels are here and stuff like that. So there's that pop world that you can be attached to. There's TV stuff you can do. There's all sorts of different elements. So it's easy to get caught up in that. Yep. And, um, so yeah, Adelaide was good in, in that respect. Yep. And, uh, I played around the original scene for, for a long time and there was a healthy original scene there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there still is now cause I don't get there very yeah, often, but, um, but there was a good original scene, and then I um, I became I became part of a a band which managed to tour around the world a lot, which was you know I was very fortunate mm. and learnt a lot from. Yeah, that was back when I was early twenties. Yeah, I think. Yep. And when when did you yeah. start when did you start playing? I think I started playing when I was twelve. Okay. I just borrowed I borrowed a floor tom and a snare yeah off a friend yeah and um, it, they were terrible that's all I had I think floor tom and the snare yeah <laughs> and um, I remember the, I, I remember the floor tom legs were uh, were like held on by some really thick twisted wire and I remember one day cutting myself on this wire probably when I was about 13 really badly like really deep in my calf and I'm pretty sure if I looked for it I'd still see the scar but it was like this really deep cut yeah and that was my uh, my first drumming injury but that's the only, that's the only two drums I had that floor time on the snare yeah. yeah and um I remember at some point I uh I bought a kit in the trading post is trading post New South Wales as well I imagine it's a national thing right trading post I think so yeah it was like the yeah. classified sort of section in the paper yeah. like the trading post buy it for 80 cents once a week or something yep. and yep. I bought my first kid off there when I was um, I don't know maybe 14 or 15 what was it it was a it was a Pearl Max uh, not Maxwin Dolphin it was a it was a Pearl it was an early Pearl um, and like full vintage people would probably froth over it now <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I got it for 200 and the symbols that came with were probably worth like 700 so yeah. I was happy with that but I didn't really know anything about it yep. I remember my mum driving me out to this place like probably half hour out of town and buying this old kit and I was so happy and I think my neighbours were so unhappy yeah <laughs> yep. and uh, my mum I don't know whether she was happy or unhappy but she tolerated it and for that I'm grateful yeah that's cool and your father yeah. was a drummer yes my father was a drummer yep my father uh, my father was a was a drummer and he played, um, oh, he played a lot, of, a lot of stuff, but his, his thing was jazz and free jazz. Yep. Crazy stuff that I, that I can't listen to, but he's, um, he did some amazing things, uh, both in US and he ended up living in Paris. Yep. Um, and he played with some really amazing people. He played with Jean-Luc Ponty, uh, played the Steve Lacey band for many, many years. Um, I recently, um, met someone I, I might have touched on this on the other podcast but mm. who filled me in that he'd he'd depth for for um Tony Williams playing with with Miles and wow um I don't know if that was just a rehearsal or right. or what it was but right. it happened and yep that's a feather in the cap for him for sure yep um but I don't play drums because my my dad played drums you know I I met my dad once when I was 20 and then once when I was uh oh, once right. when I was 10 so he wasn't around no, I wasn't around. Mm-hmm. So I was born in Holland. My mum was was living in Europe with with my dad. 
in France, in Paris. And, uh, and then shortly after I was born, they, they separated. Well, mum wanted to bring me up in, in Australia. So, um, but back in Adelaide where she had family and uh, she had sisters and her, her parents were there and stuff. So she brought me home. So your, your mum's Australian? Yeah, my mum's yep. yep. white, like fifth generation Australian. Okay. Dad's black American. Um, but was living in, in Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the, there's no, like, I mean, he played drums and I played drums, but it wasn't because of that. Okay. Um, and my, my dad, uh, so the first time I met him, when I was 20, I, I got my, my first overseas tour. It was a really strange tour. It was this folkloric tour. It was supposed to be a folkloric tour. So it was really supposed to be, an indigenous it was really supposed to be a representative in uh, indigenous Australia mm-hmm. on this very prestigious centuries old touring festival that tours through uh, tours through the Pyrenees France into Spain and uh, I, I don't know, did I speak did I speak I didn't speak about this on the other no, podcast not I think. No, okay not. so I was I was 20 <laughs> and um and we went through, uh, we, this group got thrown together pretty haphazardly and last minute. And there was an Indigenous uh, contingent within that. But the person who was putting it together really wanted to represent multicultural Australia, which in theory is a really nice idea, but that's not what the festival was about. The festival was, was honouring and represent, you know, was representative of um, Indigenous peoples of various lands coming together. And we ended up doing this tour. It was like a six-week tour, and the information we were told was that it, would, it was uh, three major festivals and a couple of festivals in between over six weeks. And we all went with like, I think we went with like two weeks' notice that this thing actually ha- happened. And uh, it ended up, but they sent us, the day before we left on tour, they sent us a fax back in the day. It was a fax of uh, the itinerary. The itinerary was like 60 pages long or something, and it was all in French. And my mum knew French, having lived there, so she translated it for us. And it turned out in the six weeks we were performing every day except for two, and we were travelling two to ten hours a day. We had a tour bus and driver and interpreters and stuff. And um, it was chaos. It was chaos because... It was put together poorly. Not the festival. The festival has been running for many years and it's very prestigious, but the person that put together the Australian contingent, uh, I think her motives were in the wrong place. She, um, she wasn't fully aware of what it was supposed to be and kind of put it together on a good vibe, you know, that kind of thing. And I um, ended up quitting the tour. That was the first of two tours. That, I've, well, that was the second of two tours that I've quit. How I quit far in the mid- how, oh. Two weeks in. Two weeks in. In the middle of France, out in this small country town. And so I've been sidetracked from my father's story, but this is a story. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, things had been going pretty awry on this tour. There'd been fights within the group. There'd been, um, and there, there were musicians and dancers. There was fighting because the conditions hadn't been organised properly. The money hadn't been organised properly. It all happened very last minute. Um, there are a lot of newbies. Myself was fairly new to the to the, the touring game, and um, 
But to, to cut a very long story short, we're in the south of uh, central France, somewhere in this small town. The, the tension had been building over weeks between between the representatives of the festival, who we had a couple who would travel with us, the organisers of, of the Australian contingent, and um, suffice to say, got to a point where I said, "I'm done. There's no one's being paid." The, this is ridiculous. We're supposed to be a professional outfit. And so myself and a couple of others, we quit as we pulled into this small village. And the mayor, we're, the mayor from this small village was there to greet us as we got off the bus. And he goes, I hear that there's been some tension on the tour and uh, I want to assure you, assure you everything's going to be okay. I'm good friends with the organiser of the festival. And... Uh, it's all very friendly and cordial and a heavy French accent, which I'm not going to try and do. <laughs> um, if anyone uh, wants to leave, just know that your passport will be confiscated and your luggage will be confiscated and uh, you won't be going anywhere. My partner at the time, she was a dancer and she was on the tour as well. She blew a top completely, screaming all sorts of profanities, which I definitely will not repeat. <laughs> to the mayor of this town, screaming in his face. So eventually four of us just went, give us our bags. No one's taking our passports or our luggage. We're going. The mayor yelled at us. He's like, you're not coming inside for breakfast because they'd prepared this big breakfast for Ooh. us in this town hall. So, and that was like the last straw. Like he threatened us with the passports. He threatened us with the luggage. Not the breakfast. And, and the, the last kind of parting shot was, and you can't come in for breakfast, you know. And uh, so we're left... <clears throat> standing out by this tour bus in his car park at his town hall. And um, we decided to try and call the local taxi in this small town, you know. As it turns out, the mayor had called the, the two taxi companies that exist <laughs> and told them not to pick us up right, for hours. We, we tried calling, we, we tried walking around the town asking, trying to find taxis, no one would pick us up. Eventually we found this little like caravan park and asked them to call the taxi. And they called the taxi and then we just jumped in it and, and uh, we got out of there. You know, it was a, it was a pretty um, eye-opening experience. <clears throat> All that was to say, that was the first time I really met my dad. Okay. Within three hours of me landing in Paris on the, very, on the first day of that tour, because we flew into France first. Uh, my dad showed up at the hotel and I, I don't know, he must have spoken to my mum about it, but he showed up at the hotel and... Uh, and it was, well, it was cool, you know. No, it was the second time I met my dad. Sorry, I was 20. That was the second time I met my dad. And he showed up at the hotel and took me down to his local bar. He was an alcoholic. Okay. He was, a, he was an alcoholic. And he was, <laughs> he was fairly far gone by that stage. But uh, he took me down to this local bar and introduced me to, to all his bar fly mates and, um, who had all heard about me for, for years you know, my dad would tell stories. My dad had would kept two things on him at all time. One was his leather bag that was full of loose photos of his four sons. There's four of us. And uh, we all have different mums. There's no overlap. There's about seven to ten years between all of us. And uh, the youngest lives in, in France still. And then... Uh, me, I'm the second youngest. Then the other two live in California, but different parts of California. 
different mums. And uh, he carried this loose bag of, uh, this bag of loose photos of us and everyone that he spoke to at the, his local bars. He'd just talk about these, his sons. It was the things he was most proud of. And um, that, that was pretty weird for me because the first time I met him, I was 10. And I'd, we went to San Francisco. And my dad's from Bay Area, Oakland, originally. And, but he was living in, in France, but he flew over to, to, flew back to San Fran to see me. Mum was over there for, for some work stuff. And um, I was 10 and the next day, I remember the next day, I was going to Disneyland. That's all that was on my mind. I was going to Disneyland. I met my dad and, you know, it was kind of neither here nor there. I was going to Disneyland. I was excited about that. This guy's your father. Okay, cool. My mum raised me by herself and that was all I ever needed. I didn't need anything more. Yep. I mean, had I had a dad, who knows, who knows, you, it's a completely... Um, benign question really I don't know I don't know who I'd be if I grow up it would be a different thing I might be a really amazing drummer because he was an amazing drummer but I might have like hated it and decided to do something else um so my mum raised me herself and I have no regrets about that uh so then I mean just talking about my father some more um I was on tour in uh I was on tour in in London in 2002 and I was sound checking uh, just, I was on stage by myself sound checking drums at Shepherd's Bush Empire famous venue, Beatles you know, all this, so much history in this venue and my manager came out and handed me the phone and said your mum's on the phone which it was weird in itself because this was back before like mobiles was like you know, you'd never call an international mobile, yep. you know, ever. Yep. You just wouldn't do it. Yep. <clears throat> so I knew it was something serious. And uh, mum had just found out that my dad was dead, you know. And that was a really surreal thing for me because I didn't really know how to feel about it. And that was in 2003 and all these years mm. later, I still don't really know how to feel about it because mm. he wasn't really a part of my life. Um, and I'd, I'd been at that stage I'd been on the road for I don't know probably three months I think mm-hmm. the shortest tour we would do would be three months back then and and um, yeah it yeah we'd been three months <clears throat> we'd, we'd been in America that's it we'd been in America for three months then we flew to London to do a week of this special show at Shepherd's Bush Empire and a couple of other things and and um I knew I had another two weeks left of the tour. A week in London and then a week in, um, back in Austin for South by Southwest, oh, cool. which I did in 2003 the first time. And right. funny thing is I did it again this year. Oh, <laughs> did you? Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. And um, so, you know, I get told this news. Cool. It was really weird. I just, everything just sort of just went silent. Like for the rest of the day, we did a concert, um, you know, we did, we did this show, but my head was obviously elsewhere. Mm. I remember going up to the backstage room after I'd checked the drums and, you know, about to tell everyone else. And I was just silent. I didn't really, t- I didn't tell anyone. Like, I don't know how you'd even tell that to someone. I didn't even know how, to, like even talking about it now, it's weird to just say, oh, my dad was, you know, because 
Well, I found out within a few days later, it was my dad was murdered. Oh, right. shit. So. Fuck. This is why I don't talk about it that often. Okay. Because I don't have a problem talking about it, but when people ask me, you know, when it gets onto your dad, you have to be conscious of what their reaction is going to be because most people's reaction will be, oh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fine. It was, it was a long time ago. It wasn't part of my life, but it was a weird thing, you know. And funnily enough, there's a bunch of silver linings, as weird as that sounds, to the, to the situation. Um, he wasn't well. You know, he was pretty far gone by then, alcoholism. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm on this tour and I play the show and I don't even, I can't remember if I told the band before or after the show. Anyway, I told them and of course everyone was sort of pretty weirded out and shocked and I just said to my manager, look, just, we were doing it on the cheap, we were staying at people's houses and stuff like that and it's kind of spread out a bit. I just said to my manager, just get me, a, I just need a hotel, just get me a hotel. Um, and we had three days off before flying back to America. I uh, pretty much stayed in my room for three days and just talked to my mum back home. Mm. And uh, How was your mum? How was my mum? How was your mum, yeah. She, oh, she, I mean, she was pretty upset, yeah. obviously. I think we always had, had uh, mum, myself, and my brothers always had, had some sort of fantasy of, like, getting dad and bringing him to Australia or bringing him somewhere and all of us being together because it never happened, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, I think she she was just keen to see me. You know, she was obviously upset. You know, they, there was no bad blood between them. Mm. He was just uh, I think a difficult person to be with at the, by that time. Um, I mean, when they separated, which was you know forty years ago. Um, so I then went, I went from London back to Austin to play this last week of South by Southwest, and I was holding up. I was doing fine, you know, I was like, I was completely fine. Within an, half an hour of me getting on the plane to come home, I lost it. Like I got, mm. by losing up, I mean, I got really sick. And I think it was my body like just holding just, it together to finish the mission, so yeah, to speak, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then just crashing, yeah. And I got like really sick, the sickest I've been on a plane. And uh, I've flown a lot and I, I was really like I threw up I made it to the bathroom fortunately I threw up a fever was spiking through the roof um and somehow I can't remember we must have flown with Air New Zealand or something but we flew home via New Zealand and I remember we had four hours off in New Zealand and I I made it to the, like the the bathrooms almost on my hands and knees and I, I had it there was a shower in there I just sat on the floor of the shower for like two hours mm. between flights just a wreck and then I got home you know, I, I just had to see, you know, I got home, mum was at the airport, so that was, that was great. I got to see her and, you know, and then I had to, within an hour, I was on stage sound checking for this, closing out the Adelaide Festival with this, the same band I'd been touring with. Um, so I, I kind of mentioned the silver linings, the, the silver linings is it, the one thing dad wanted in his life, from my understanding, is that he wanted all four of us to be together, all four boys there's four, we're all boys, all his, all his sons. And there was a memorial concert for him in Paris. They held two memorial concerts for him in Paris, the, the jazz community, really, the musicians community. And, um, and we all flew back to Paris. This is probably two months after his death. And we all flew back to Paris. 
and um, we took our mums. We all took our well, all but the oldest. He, she she'd remarried and had had another child, and you know, at the time didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. It was yeah. a long time ago for that they were together, and um, but the rest of us took our mums and we rented an apartment right in the middle of Paris, all together. And this was the first time mum had met any of them and that any of them shared space, that's for sure, you know. And so there are us four boys and we all sat on the floor in the lounge room next to each other as if we were like four kids, like in primary school. We just slept on the floor in sleeping bags next to each other and the mums took the bedrooms. And um, in hindsight, that was fraught with danger. <laughs> but it was one of the most beautiful experiences to this day that yeah. I've ever had. Awesome all of us being there together. And we had some, um, we had some nights out where we would go, we did this over two nights. We went to all the, all the spots my dad used to play at and where he was, he, he since I think being banned from playing was now a bar fly, you know, but they knew he was a little bit of a local legend, but, yeah. um, and we'd walk into these places and, they'd know who we were instantly because he'd shown them all the photos over oh, the years. Shit, yeah. Some of them had photos up of us. They'd put up in kind of, they'd had photo, they'd put photos of dad's up uh, after he passed. They all had this one photo of dad up and then one of them had, put, had printed out photos of us, um, which was kind of, kind of weird to walk into that situation. <laughs> and we'd walk in and like the manager would take one look at us and burst into tears. You know, it was this really surreal night super powerful and strange and beautiful and sad all at once. And uh, that was the first time all four of us were together. And to this day, it's the last time all four of us have been together. Yeah, well. We've managed to get, get various groups of threes, but never since have all four of us been together. But we all talk all the time. That's now, great. Like we're super close. That's cool. Um, and I, d I didn't really connect with any of them until my first tour of the States, which was when I was... 23 um, so now I have this sort of global family of of you know there's four mothers who I can call on at any stage and uh, and my brothers who I, I try and get to see at least once a year if not once every two years yep which means a trip to Europe and a, and a trip to America but um, the next we're now talking about like uh, and I brought one of them out here uh, two of them have been here um, my oldest brother I really want to bring out here um, and we're talking about having a big family holiday in in, in uh, Asia somewhere meeting in the kind of in the middle sort awesome. of you know yeah. and just doing it which would be great and everyone bringing their families that's so cool. that's that's penciled in for next year that's now cool. it's been penciled in for a few years every year but I'm feeling good about next year cool are they musicians? they're not musicians mm -hmm. But they connect. They connect to my oldest brother. He's a radio DJ in uh, Oakland. Oakland is kind of the heart and soul of a lot of the, sort of the neo soul music and just great music. Yeah. You know, out of California. Oakland, Frank, man. You know, and my brother's connected to all those guys. Mm. You know, he introduced me to to Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins and. Like, and when I say introduce me to, like, introduce me to, like, we're there together. He's, they, he grew up with them, they're family friends mm. and other guys who now 
tour the world with some of the biggest artists he's introduced me to. So I've met them through him and, and uh, are now good friends of mine. And, um, so he's a, and he, he knows everything there is to know about, about jazz particularly, but soul, spoken word, black music. He knows it all. He's an encyclopedia of it and uh, he's super well respected uh, in the community there. And then so he's, that's Greg Bridges and Kendrick Johnson is the next oldest and he's a production manager. He lives in San Diego. And, you know, when I started, I didn't meet him until I was 23 on that first, the first tour of the States I did. And in the five years I was touring States and Canada from 2000, oh no, from 2000, it was 2000 I met him, uh, from 2000 to 2005, I would cross paths with him in America on the road, both of us on the road, um, uh, probably six or seven times at different locations around the country. And then I would always, at the end of a tour, I'd go and stay with him for a week or before a tour, or if I had a hold in a tour, I'd go and stay with him. And I still do that to this day, you know. Um, and so he's a production manager for super huge events, like um, the one of the gigs he was doing for a long time was the the Fan Fest for the for the baseball league over there, the um, whatever they call it, it's the American League and the baseball, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so this would be this big conference, this big fan fest that would go for a week where he'd have a venue that's, you know, eight times the size of Horden Pavilion and, and he'd be in charge of running all the production stuff. So he was connected. My oldest brother was connected. And then my youngest brother is, um, he works in logistics, handling logistics for conferences and stuff like that, travel logistics and accommodation logistics and, yeah. and stuff. So, you know, I've always had this little dream in my head that one day I'd love to form a company with all my yeah, brothers. Because yeah. I think between us would be, able, all the part, would all be the able to handle parts. all the bits. Yeah. I you could, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, we're all connected now quite regularly and... and Technology has just made that so wonderfully easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, truly. Um, so, yeah, man, music has been kind of the backdrop to my life, really. Yeah. And it, I was just thinking about it then, like all those kind of things happened because I was touring and, you know, in terms of me getting to meet meet them. And I'm sure I would have met them anyway. I know I would have. I was, I was always aware of them and they were aware of me. Yeah. But that allowed me, particularly for that period, to like keep going. I kept getting back. I was in the states two to three times a year. Like I was doing two to three tours a year there for three to six months, mm-hmm. and um, so I got to form great bonds with them at a later, a later stage in life, which is for better or worse, it is what it was. And you know, it was it was really nice. We we were all grown up and could relate straight on the grown up level, um, which was which was fantastic. I remember very clearly the first day I met Kendrick, I had, I'd spoken to him and said, you know, I'm your brother from Australia. (laughs) I'm coming to the States. Um, be great to meet you. And, and I'd, I'd met my oldest brother once when I was 10 and, uh, around the same time I met my dad. So him and I already had a connection. We didn't speak often because, you know, email didn't exist text messaging whatsapp didn't exist um and international phone calls were like you, you wouldn't do it you know yeah you do it once a year on a special occasion yeah 
Uh, and plus I was, you know, that was when I was 10 and he's much older than me, okay. you know, so we didn't, there was a big age gap. It was just, we didn't have any real connection other than we were brothers. So it was good to make that connection again when I was older and, you know, we could relate on that level. Um, but anyway, I'm in Long Beach, California. I have a day off on tour and my f- hotel phone rings and it's my brother Kendrick who I've never met in my life and I've spoken to once on email saying I'm coming to the States. And he goes, is this Yanya? I'm like, yeah, he goes, is this your brother Kendrick? It's a much deeper American accent than, you know, it's a much deeper voice than American accent. Mm-hmm. I won't do that one. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <clears throat> He's like, oh, I was just talking to your older, your older brother. He said you had a day off. And uh, I live about, I know we're supposed to see each other. We're supposed to meet next week, but I've got a day off. I live a couple of hours away. I'm going to come up and I'll come up and get you. And he drove up and uh, picked me up and took me down to his house. He just had, a, he just had uh, his daughter. She was like three months old. And, um, and from the second I met him, I knew <clears throat> that he was, I kind of knew where I fit with him. Like he was my older brother and I knew that he would look after me no matter what, within minutes of me meeting him, which was really bizarre, you know? And then I had the same, on that same tour, my, uh, my younger brother from France, him and his mum came over and, and met us on the road somewhere. I think uh, we were in, we were, uh, I was on that tour, but we were in Edinburgh for a bit, um, UK. And they caught the train over from France and I met my little brother for the first time and he couldn't speak any English at the time either. But I knew instantly that I was his older brother and that I would always look after him, you know, or I had that feeling yes. instantly. So they're the silver linings in what well, this sort of, this sad thing that happened with my dad. Yep. Um, and I know that he would be happy with the fact that we're now all connected. Yeah. That's awesome. Good times. Fantastic, so. man. That's, that's bloody awesome. It's a, this is a darker podcast, no, this one. Yeah, man. It's all good. We'll yeah. go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. It was good. Um, now, who are your um, your musical influences? Um, in terms of drumming? Or no, just, just in general, music. I always find that one a tricky question mm-hmm. uh, because it can change very easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'd say, okay, so I'll simplify it a bit. Yeah. Who were the, the early influences that are still there now? Um, you always find yourself going back to them. So yeah, so I don't know if I do go back to them. But I okay. when, I, when I came up, man, I went through, I came up in Adelaide. I, I, I know I spoke about this on the other podcast a bit. Adelaide doesn't have a, a big market. There's not a lot of people of colour there. And there's not, the music <clears> scene, <throat> there's, there's not a lot of soul music. There's not a lot of, um, you know, black music, so to speak. Um, so I went through a full stage of like hair bands, you know, listening to like the, the heavy metal, like yeah, you know, the soft heavy metal bands. Um, when I was in like year seven, year eight, probably. Um, and yeah, I knew, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but I knew all those albums. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really missed, I, I missed the, like I skipped the, the Hendrix and the Doors thing. Right. I skipped it. Like I, I fully skipped over it yep. and the Beatles. And I put some of that down to, um, for better or worse, I put some of this down to, like I, I never got into, I never did that 
stage, that stage of experimenting with like, I never started drinking at a young age. I didn't start smoking. I didn't, and the circle that I saw around me all delved into that kind of that psychedelic thing and the, those, the music of those sort of, that were, you know, the, the pinup, the pinups for the, that era. Well said. You know, yeah. and I, I skipped it. I was at school. I was, I was playing sport pretty heavily. So I was pretty athletic and um, more focused on that than anything else. Yep. And so I skipped that, that whole thing. Um, so I missed that era of stuff. Okay. It was more like the 80s kind of vibe. Um, my mum used to listen to a lot of um, singer-songwriter stuff, Joni Mitchell. Um, so I, but I, I remember this one album that was always on in the house, which was... Um, the soundtrack to the movie The Harder They Come. Oh, yeah. You know, the Peter Tosh? So, yeah. reggae. Reggae. It was a collection yeah. of reggae artists. Yeah. But there's this, this this album that I just remember being on all the time. And then I remember much later in life being on, on tour somewhere and someone having this album on in their house. And, like, it all instantly came back to me. I was like, I haven't listened to this album in, in 15 years. And all of a sudden I know every every song. And, yeah. Um, I got into Midnight Oil. Oh yeah. I, I spoke about this on on the other one, but like Rob Hurst as a drummer was someone that I really um, uh, he was one of the ones that really sparked for me. You know, I think his delivery is different than anyone else. He pl- he plays very musical. Um, I, the Whispering Jack album, John Farnham's Whispering Jack album. Yeah. Yep. Um, Angus Birchall on drums on that. Like those two, I, I credit for a couple of the people that really got me into Yeah, I know what you're saying about, about Angus as well and that, and that particular album. Um, around the time that came out, was one Christmas, we got these uh, coloured markers for Christmas and it had like this um, sort of a scratchy thing on the back, so I yeah. scratched it. You've won a Sony Walkman. Yes. <laughs> yes, I sent away and I get this... Sony Walkman and and it had a you know instant reversing of the tape and oh that was high tech it man. was high tech man and it was awesome and um and Dad took me down to the shop and I just saw this you know saw the the cover there with this guy with blonde hair and didn't really know who he was so Golden that looks locks, cool mate. Golden yeah locks. well it was yeah because that the whispering jack is that. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know. I had the singlet yeah, yeah. Oh, when you? I was twelve. Yeah. With the cutout or uh, the cutout? Yeah, the yeah, cutout. super like <laughs> beautiful. Just the album cover of the print there. Oh, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. So and then I, man, I, I wore that tape out. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah, man. Town, I, Town called Trouble was my favourite song on that. Oh album. yeah, I I had this. Yeah, that was a great track. Yeah, I had this live recording and I must have taped it off. SAFM it was in Adelaide that was like the Oz stereo station in Adelaide yep. right they must have done like a live broadcast and I recorded it right. on like a set deck yep. Right? Yep. and I wore that tape out yeah, and yeah. I knew the banter I knew every oh, right. word yep. every time it introed someone you know I, I could I knew it backwards and I was just saying this to someone yesterday actually like it was the first big concert that I remember it was, I saw uh, Farnham when he was playing the the Adelaide Grand Prix before it moved to Melbourne. He was right. closing out Adelaide Grand Prix. I was 12 and I went to the concert and 
Um, and I knew this tape backwards, you know, I knew every part of it and I felt like I knew him and it was the first time, <laughs> it was the first time, like I had that moment where I was watching him and I'm in the crowd, like 60,000 people and my friend had taken me um, and I was like, he doesn't have a clue who I am. No. I thought we were mates. <laughs> I really thought we were mates. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm here, like, I'm here. I got like, a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm the guy that listens to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, me and everyone else. Yeah, man. Um, Funny. After that, what did I get? I never really delved into hip hop ever. Okay. You know, like I never really got into it. Remember, there was a couple of Run DMC things I liked, or I liked the Run DMC Aerosmith collab. You know, yeah, Walk yep. This Way. Yep. That was a great track. Um, there was a band at school. There was like the school band that played some um, played some ACDC and some Angel stuff. Yeah. And some stuff from the Blues Brothers. Yep. So I listened to it. Was, they weren't necessarily influencers, but I remember playing them at a very young age. Yep. Not very well, but I was playing them. I was in the band yep. uh, at school, and I was like three or four years younger than everyone else in the band. <laughs> we were playing these songs. I had no idea what was going on. Yep. And we'd play the school parties, you know, the various school parties, playing Angel songs and ACDC and Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then I remember getting into, um, I remember, I think it was the Born in, Born in the USA album, Springsteen. Yeah, man. I vaguely remember wearing that one out. Yep. And uh, I had the vinyl of that one. Then I, I definitely went down a, a, a pop road at some stage, but I can't really, when I think about it, I, I can't even think what I was into in my like in the years where I was starting to really play music, Eurythmics, I thought that that was a great oh, album. Yeah. They had a couple of great albums I yeah. really liked. Clever, eh? Um, yeah, some fantastic stuff. There was a band, Supergroove. You yeah, know man. Supergroove? Yeah, man. Man, I love them. Yep. And I, I know Jonesy. You, you know. do? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be talking to him soon. Yeah, yeah. Supergroove, yeah. uh, Shofu. Yep. I remember getting into that big. Um, and... Uh, the band, now I really was a fanboy of this band, The Truth. Do you remember the band, The Truth? Yeah. I know all those guys now. They're, my, you know, yeah, right. they're mates. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And I bumped into Tony Coper, the singer, you right. know, a few weeks ago down in Melbourne. And he was saying to whoever I was with, I think I was, I was down, a, we were on a Tino Arena gig. So this was beginning of the year. Yeah. And I was down playing for her and he was, he was playing at the same event. Andy Cavan was talking to I think Tina and myself saying, Oh, Yan used to be the you know, the biggest fanboy of our band whenever we'd go to Adelaide <laughs> and I was. I was that annoying kid right. for sure. At the time I was pretty sure I reckon I was the cool kid. Yeah. But when I look back I was I was, I was that annoying kid. You are that kid that, that would show up at the, at that the they gig talked and, about and want to hang out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. He's here, come on, let's, and, let's go pretend that we're Me and my mate. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. <laughs> oh, not him again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was definitely me. Yeah. Took me a while. It was a real slap in the face when I realised that when I had that yeah. moment. It was like, oh, <laughs> shit. I was that guy. Yeah. Um, but I was a huge fan of that band. And, um, yeah, they were fantastic. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't until I started touring in the States that um, I had this one night off on the road uh, I'll touch on this very briefly because I, I did speak about it in the other one but okay. I, I saw Jill Scott live okay um, and it really changed my it, it was a 
pivotal moment for me mm-hmm. where I, I, after the concert, I ran home and I got on my Hotmail account and I emailed all my friends on their Hotmail accounts and, <laughs> and said, I've just seen the most amazing thing because, you know, we didn't have access to it uh, through, the, you know, YouTube didn't exist. Yep. You know, pre-streaming. You, yeah, wait, of course. This is yep. this was two thousand. Okay. Um, remember when two thousand was the future? Yeah, remember man. when that sounded like the big? That was the future. I know. <laughs> yeah, flying cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and but I remember just contacting all my muso friends and saying, "I've just had my mind blown. I was super inspired." You know. Yeah. By then, I feel like um, my bad habits had developed too far for me to like change my approach to playing or my approach to practice right which I've, is not something that I've ever um really done like that, that's one thing I regret mm. is I never developed a really good discipline for for practice and I think had I grown up with my dad and persisted with drums sure I think that's one thing that I would have had yeah right. <laughs> yeah um but you know I that was the first time I I saw that gospel style of playing mm-hmm. and it just blew my mind. And uh, that was a guy called Eric Trebet playing drums. Mm-hmm. He was a year younger than me. And uh, that killed me too because I was like, oh, I can never aspire to get to his level by the time I'm his age because he's already right. a year younger than yeah, me. Right. <laughs> but I got to meet him after the show and then we stayed in contact and I got to sit in on some rehearsals with him like other times when we returned to Philadelphia on tour over the next few years. Right. And, he took me to a jam with Questlove in Philly one night. Really? You know, oh, I got wow. to hang out with Questlove and oh, I'm hanging out with Questlove. It's it crazy. And um, yeah, music is a real, it's a real journey. Hey, like absolutely. It, it allows us to, and, and touring, but not even touring, just doing corporates around Sydney. It allows us to step into, step into other people's lives and other people's, you know, one minute you might just be doing a bar gig, the next you're doing a corporate where you're playing for the prime minister and yeah. and you're, you know, surrounded by the very important people, supposedly. And uh, you really get to transport yourself into different worlds. And that yeah. was one of those examples. Because I was touring stuff, I managed to be at this jams, Questlove jam and hang out with him for a little bit. And yep. That was kind of nuts. Um, but yeah, that really kind of, uh, that's when I really got to, uh, that opened my my eyes to the whole gospel thing right, right. Yep. you know mm. which I profess to not doing very well at all sure. yeah <laughs> but I love listening to it yeah yeah <coughs> and yeah I like that approach to drumming yeah that's cool now you um you play for tap dogs oh I played a few shows for oh, tap dogs yeah, okay yeah. I played a, I played a few special special um a few special shows. So Joe Acaria, do you know Joe Acaria? I know Sydney Joe, drummer. I don't know Joe. Hilarious human being and yep. someone you should definitely interview because yep. that guy's got stories. Okay. Without a doubt. Yep. But he's sort of like the musical director for Tap Dogs. Okay. And has been kind of all along, you know, and um, still works closely with Dean Perry and the drummers who are playing for Tap Dogs. Now. I think they've got some female players. He put, Joe put them in there and trained them up and... Um, him and Dean have a really close relationship um, so I, I have played a couple of tap dog things but I did this we did this one big one down in the Darling Harbour on the floating stage where we got to have there were four drummers up on really big scaffolds playing like yeah. we had like the sort of traditional drum kit stuff and then there was like percussion stuff 
and maybe some all various forms of percussion stuff, you know, yep. like four big towels. So I, I, I got to rehearse with them for a bit and played with them uh, a couple of times, I think, but it's not necessarily, I wasn't the drummer for Tap Dogs. Okay, that's cool. Now, yeah. see, with that then, um, what that's sort of bringing me to is, is, is that stuff um, you're playing to a click? Or who, who sort of leads that? The drummer's leading it, or you're following in, the tap? Tap dog. Well, in tap dogs, the tap dogs, there's. It was a long time ago, so I'm trying to think how. Mm. There, there's you tracks. know what I, you know what I mean, eh? Yeah, yeah. You've got these. There's tracks that they that they play to. Yeah. You know, ex, extra musical stuff, but there's only right. they don't have band on there. There's yep. there. I mean, the show's evolved many times. I know they're over in London at the moment, okay. so I don't, I'm not sure what format they're running. But back then, right. they had. They had uh, tracks with all the hits and the kind of stuff on it. Right. Um, so we would be playing to track and therefore with click as well. Okay. Because I'm just trying to work out how the how the timing of it would go. Yeah. Well, then they have their own, like the drummers weren't in everything. Then they'd have their own whole sections. Right. Then there'd be sections where we worked together. Yeah. Then there'd be stuff where it was just us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, um, I mean, that was a cool experience. That was something I, I've, so I, I did that and then I've, the, I've done one or two things with, with um, the that's uh, kind of breakaway group of those guys oh, yeah. as well who who do who were doing more of a pop show, yep. um, but also incorporated a lot of tap stuff. I got to work on that. And, you know, that that's just cool. It's cool to step out of your regular world and do something yeah. like that because I mean, really, on a show like that, the drumming and and the accompaniment is secondary to the amazing stuff that these guys are doing. Yeah, that's that's what I was sort of getting to. Um, are you kind of as a drummer following their their dancing? In in that in that scenario you're following what is the path that you're taught to play, really. Sure, so how sure. they came about I'm not exactly sure. Okay. That would have been in collaboration with, with Joe that who was MDing. Yeah. And Dean and the dancers. Yep. Um, so you kind of taught parts. Sure. So we didn't I wasn't involved in any of the kind of workshopping Okay, that particular right. thing. Cool. But uh, yeah, you should definitely get Joe on and, and have a yeah, chat with him because yeah. he's done yeah. he's done a wide range. Is of he is he things. overseas? Right now he's overseas. Yeah. In in fact, he's overseas. Uh, he's the musical director for um, a show called Velvet. Yep. And they're installing that on the cruise ship over oh. at, in Miami. Right. So he's, he's auditioned the international cast. Cool. And uh, is over there running the rehearsals and putting the show together and then it sets sail. Right. So. And then he yeah. comes home, yeah? Then he comes home, but I think cool. once every six months he travels to wherever the boat is and has to check in, make sure everything's right. good. And, cool. You know. I'll try and catch him when he, when he gets back. Yeah, yeah you definitely cool. should. He's yeah. a wealth of information yep. and hilarious dude. Yep. Yeah. Um, Boston Project Management, BPM. Okay, so this is this is a very new... New thing, yep. Well, but the name is a, is a new thing. Okay. I've been thinking about, uh, in my years, I, I've done more than just drumming. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I end up, whether it be, I do some musical direction stuff for people now. I yep. do um, some track prep stuff, like, in, in you know, figuring out stems and tracks and playback rigs. Yep. I've done band management as well. <laughs> and um, liaising, I'm often the the tour managing projects as well and yep. you know all sorts of extracurricular stuff and <clears throat> I've been asked to manage bands quite a bit actually and it's not it's a thankless job I've worked with some really great managers and some 
some not so great ones too but um it's a tough job and it's a lot of responsibility and yep. I, I'd feel like um, I, don't, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. However, project management, I, I, I view as a different thing. It's not like the you're not responsible for someone's career. It's like if someone comes to me and says, okay, I need to develop my show or I need this or a client comes and says, we need a band for this event that's going to do this, that and the other. Yep. It's just something I've found that I, that I can do uh, I'm quite naturally. I'm, I'm comfortable with communicating with people and just getting things done fast. And I think a lot of that I learned from the, the manager of my first band. I watched how she operated on the road and we had an independent band that, you know, had no money and we managed to survive for five years playing all over the world and selling merch and doing, le- learning how to, to do, do it the best way possible with what you have. And then on the other side, I've worked for labels where I see managers involved who are, spending money left right and center that's essentially coming out of the artist's money somewhere along the line and they're not thinking about the managers aren't thinking about that they're just spending money oh we've booked we've booked the wrong backline stuff that's all right you don't have to use it but we have to pay for it you know there's you know uh, i've seen that stuff happen far too often uh i've been on tour with pop artists where the band will go out to eat dinner but the artists can't afford to come and eat so i've i've we've bought them dinner, you know, we've had to pay, we've had to buy them dinner and happily too, because they should be eating with the, you know, I've seen that stuff happen too much. And so I think whatever I've learned in my guerrilla style of organization <laughs> or, or management or tour management or what, whatever it is I'm doing, it's all self-taught and it's all just from watching other people achieve it with very little resources or watching people with a lot of resources achieve it and spend way too much money or whatever. So I've been trying to think of how I can bring that all in under one umbrella. And, and, uh, my latest sort of incarnation thinking around that is, is, is BPM, which will be Boston project management, which when the phone stops ringing for playing drums, which will happen eventually, you know, that's, that's a big reality and fear. And it's just a, you know, it's a natural progression. Yeah. I'm going to have to do something else and mm. I'm not going to work in an office because who would hire me? Like I work in my own office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, these words might come back to haunt me because <laughs> you might come to Macca's drive through and there I'll be yeah, yeah. taking your order one yeah. day or something, you know, <laughs> um, you know, that, that is something that I, I think about as, you know, every day I wake up one day older and I, I'm going, what am I going to do like for the rest yeah. of my life? Yeah. That said, you know, I've had that thought a lot. And this year, you know, I've been to 19 countries of which I've played in 18 of them. You know, music has taken me to... And uh, had you asked me in the beginning of the year if that was happening, uh, I would have, ha- would have had no idea that was happening. Okay, right. My, so a lot of po- that short-term... Well... Uh, it's not short-term, short-notice sort of... Yeah, my, my point being is that you never really know what's going to happen, you know? Right. And um, in saying that, I'm, uh, I'm working on a few projects which I see longevity in and, and artists who I really believe in, who I'm, who I'm pouring my energy into as well because I believe in them, but also it's something I'm a part of. I like, I like, I like being a part of yep. something. It's, it's, it's great. It's also great being like... The, the hired gun for some things. So I, I do a little bit of that, 
um, um, not as much as some, more than some others. It is what it is, um, yeah. and that's cool and all. But there's no, there's no kind of, it's not as fulfilling, you know. It really isn't like for me being creating something or being part of the creation of something and working towards an end goal, whether that end goal is world domination or it's, oh, we get to do a gig in a bigger venue or it's, we get to do an interstate thing just so that you're building, you're always building. And, and I really love that feeling of having like forming a, um, I guess it's like forming a band, but, but, um, it's not quite because I'm working for, I'm still working for artists, but artists that I really believe in and who appreciate me and where there's a, you know, there's two, what they, they take on my opinion and vice versa. And, you know, that stuff is, yeah, that stuff is, I find really fulfilling. It might not fulfill the bank as much. And, right. that, you know, and that's where you've got to strike a balance between that and just doing the covers stuff. You've got to come back and do a Melbourne um, Cup gig. Yeah, which is cool, and you know, yeah. I, there's really it, absolutely each to their own. Some people, yeah. um, some people have families to support and all that stuff. So, man, go out and earn every cent you can. The fact that we can make a living doing this, those of us who are lucky enough to be able to make a living doing this, puts us in a very small percentile in the world. You know, and so we're very lucky. And in Australia, even with all the no vibe shit that's going on here. We can still do it, which is pretty good. That's what I was going to ask about too. Was you know that? Did you sort of did you guys predict what was going to happen to the scene? Did you sort of see it coming? You talk about with the lockouts, yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, well, for me, see, I mean, I I've done a lot of outside of all the um, like I'm always foc- I always have at least something original that I'm focusing on with yep. someone. Yep. At least one thing. At the moment, I've got three, which is beautiful yep um but i've done like i do heap I, there were stages where i had like five residencies at the same you know yeah and so i was playing all you know regular resident gigs as well as club gigs with djs yeah and all that kind of stuff so when that lockout thing came that re- that for me that really affected me instantly um more, more so than other people that well because i was because doing, you were doing i was the, doing the, the, club these, stuff. The, the club stuff yeah, yeah, the yeah. real late stuff I was doing. I had like two residencies, which were really late. Meant I could do other gigs in front of it, and then I could do those gigs, which, as um, you know, they pay the rent and they they help fund my lifestyle. Yeah. So you got to do them, and and um, so when those lockouts came in, that instant. So I felt the effects of that instantly. All right, mm-hmm. instantly, and then I think yeah, I think, man, I don't know if I if I really sat down and predicted how, uh, you know, uh, there, were, there was a lot of talk, oh, it's going to kill the scene, but I don't know if any of us really thought about it. it went, right. yeah, it really is going to, really is, and it really has. Yeah. I mean, it's it's killed a lot. And, you know, I think that the, um, the downturn in the scene has been happening for a long time. If you ever hear the stories of the 80s here in Sydney, I wasn't here. But, you know, I mean, we're going back a generation. If you hear those stories, mm-hmm. like it was gig to gig to gig to gig to gig yeah. all through King's Cross and, yeah. you know um, I think there's been a decline for a, a long time but that that uh, curve escalated massively with the lockouts and um, I think it's just shit house yeah 
Really? I mean, it really is. It's embarrassing. Yep. That Sydney is this no vibe city. The the biggest city, the the international city in inverted commas of no of vibe Australia. city. I haven't heard that. that that's, you know, that's cool. Um, and today was a perfect example. You know, the gig I had to do earlier today and. King's Cross doesn't exist anymore. And, and I think, you, not that that was somewhere I would frequent often, but I think that every city needs that that area, call it the sleaziest side or whatever. Every every city, that's part of what makes up culture, you know, the, the, you've got the extremes and everything in between. Yeah. And you need, you need that. And, you know, some say it was a really violent place. Others say it was a really safe place because there was so much so security many, around. And so many people and as people, well. Yeah. Um, you know, I know there's arguments for and against, but come on, like it's it's ridiculous. It is yeah. the state we're in at the moment is ridiculous. Yeah. And government's finally starting to like yeah. notice. But notice it. it's gonna be a long time before they can before they can get it back. And I think there's a lot of pride involved too, like no one's ready there's they'll little drips they'll drip feed bits back in back into our nightlife. But yep. it's a long time before it can build up and whether it will ever be I mean, it has to. Everything is cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. It has to come back around. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're in a tough spot and we have some some of the greatest musicians here across all different scenes. You know, we really do. There's people I'm absolutely in awe of that mm-hmm. are playing cover gigs around. And, again, no judgment on that. Make the money. I do them. Mm-hmm. I, I take them. Um, absolutely. But... My point being is that there should be more avenues for those people who are so great to be able to be creative and earn money yep. and do that stuff. I mean, really, that's, uh, I mean, the Monday Jam crew, that's been running for years. That, yep. That's fostered some amazing talent through there. The house band is always great musicians and it's rotated through a few different people at times, but it's always of a certain caliber and they, uh, you know, it's, inviting new talent to emerging talent to come up and it's an institution here now that's that's amazing so there's that whole crew which is really amazing there's there's the rock circuit which i have nothing to do with really but there's some really world-class players within that there's yep. there's everything here um but the outlets are few and far between a lot of people are moving to melbourne or yeah london yep. people are going to slog it out in london to give that a shot right. that's a hard slog in itself but People are yearning for something. Yeah. I hope it turns around. Yep. I really do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no plans to leave, eh? Um, people often ask me, would I, would I, you know, do I ever see myself living in the States? And um, I've traveled there a lot. Yep. Like I've done maybe 15 tours there and like the shortest tours we would do were three months. So I've spent a lot of time. I have some really good friends there and I have great family there. But I do really like Australia. You know, I do like our way of life. Um, so I don't know. I was in Europe and a lot of places in Europe this year, which were just beautiful. And ironically, I, went, I was Amsterdam was probably my favourite place that I went to in Europe, and that's where I was born. You born yeah. Yeah, and I'd never really been back there. Okay. And but I just was like, man, I just want to live on one of those. Have you ever been? I haven't no. I want to live on this little houseboat on the river and just live right. there. The problem is you've got to earn an income still. And yeah, bummer. So, you know, bugger that, eh? Bugger that. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, though, man, yeah, I'm really happy here and I'm yep. managing to pay the rent, so so that's good. And 
uh, I love, I love, I mean, when I fly into Sydney, which at the moment is very often flying back home, yeah. uh, flying into Sydney, um, it's so beautiful to fly into. Yeah, yeah. And You're in uh, a good spot here too, close. Well, kind of central, you know. The recording's not picking up well that they've finished the road work for the day, but yeah. I mean, for those of you listening, I'm in Alexandria and we're at the, the butt end of the West Connects project, which is going to oh, right. wind up over there. So uh, I think it's not long before all hell breaks, all hell breaks loose. Oh, right. They're talking about this road going from 7,000 cars a day to 60,000. I don't know how they're going to do it. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but it's a good spot in terms of when I moved here, it was fairly industrial. I mean, it's still fairly industrial, but now within a few minutes' walk, we've got the grounds here. We've got all these great cafes around. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I have I have um, very regular lunch meetings, meetings with people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> meetings. <laughs> I want to just at a meeting, which yeah, just yeah. means going for lunch, catching up with people. Yeah. Um, it is a great spot for that. There's no doubt. Um, and stage door rehearsals is just over there just 200 yeah. metres down the street yep Bunnings is across the road yes that's Saturday, Sunday sausage sizzle <laughs> mate that's that's saving some cash right there yeah <laughs> um, you could like BPM could maybe do a do like a fundraiser do a little fundraiser there, there. yeah, yeah. BPM. bringing all my staff it's just me <laughs> I just eat it all yeah just eat it all yeah um, but yeah it is it is a good area but you know I really um I would really love space okay. to play to play real drums. Yep. Somewhere, have a studio, have enough space to to play, have a yard, have a dog. Okay. Man, I would love to have a dog. So I would love to have a dog. At the moment, traveling as much as I have been, it would be kind of impractical and unfair on the dog. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about it more and more. You know, moving out to another another spot having some more space annoying different neighbours <laughs> yeah yeah um, you mentioned a while back you played South by Southwest yeah so I played and, it this year yeah yeah and I, I played it um, in 2002 yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so I played it twice now yeah still like the funny thing about that is if you go to South by Southwest you know you're you're just really battling you know, and I mean that same 16 years later, I'm still battling. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you're still going out there trying it and I'm still loving, I'm still loving that. I'm still just as excited about the, you know, the possibility or the potential that can come with doing something like that, you know? And so this year we went with Tandy Phoenix. Um, she's an artist that I work very closely with. I'm her MD, but we kind of started her project together. And... Um, we went to we went to South by Southwest, which for it's always I had my birthday there, cool. So um, it's always on that that same during that same week in March, and uh, yeah, we had a good time. <laughs> we it was great. We managed to have nine nine shows with Tandy, which is great. You have the way South by Southwest works is, I mean, it's it's absolute wild west out there. You know, there's hundreds of bands, yeah, and. Now there's there's uh, tech stuff and there's movie stuff and there's all sorts of stuff trying to kind of get their launch from there, you know. And um, you're generally guaranteed, like if you get accepted, you're guaranteed two official showcases and then you've got to try and pick up some of these other 
parties, you know, these sponsor parties. Once you get there, that's what so you, you organize them beforehand. But oh, right, okay, yep. They're not, but once you get there, still you're hustling to get more. But yep. we managed to get nine spots with Tandy, which was amazing. Mm. And we were lugging a lot of gear around the whole city of Austin, just like it must triple in size. It's, mm. it's, and they shut down all the roads and everything. So you're lugging gear. And you, know, you might be playing a really great venue one day and then like, or, you know, in an afternoon and then that night you're playing in the, the shittest, sh- might be a coffee shop yeah. or the front lobby of a hotel yeah. and then the next day in another good venue. Or, yeah. yeah, it's literally back a truck. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the day we arrive, we walk down this one street and uh, Grandmaster Flash is, is DJing out the front of this tiny really? little bar just on ah. the street corner outside DJing and like everyone no on the, everyone's just stopped on the street partying and Fuck. it's crazy. That's awesome. It was crazy. It was a, it was a funny time because we stayed um we stayed in the Airbnb and <clears throat> you know often it's hard to tell the distance if you've never been to a place you know you don't know the lay of the land you know this one was a little bit a little bit out of town I say that in inverted commas <laughs> which meant it was about forty five minutes fifty minutes on the freeway right like out way out, out right yeah. and the first time we get there we're, we're, we're driving out for just what seemed like ages and ages and ages and we're on a big open freeway and there's farmland and, you know it's just getting more space around us and finally we find this pull off and then we're on this country road for ages and really large very large houses but a very long way away you know but money houses you know yep. and we finally pull up to our spot. We find our spot. And the the guy greets us. That was a little bit weird. They, were, they seemed a little bit strange. <laughs> um, if anyone watches it, you watch the office, the American office? Yeah, yeah. Who's the weird guy? Oh, I can't remember. You know the weird guy? Yeah. Everybody's listening, you know the weird guy, the super funny weird dude, Shroot, Dwight Shroot. <laughs> and, you know, he has his... Uh, if you've seen the episode where they go Shroot Farm which is where he grows his beets him and his cousin Mose it felt a little bit like that they're a little kind of strange yeah. sort of felt like maybe we were part of some cult that we were there <laughs> on this little farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere yeah. might have been bodies buried around anyway the house itself was beautiful it had been made up for Airbnb you could tell like it was all, all the great photos all the angles everything we got in there it was really nice big like two story it was a two story place Master bedroom downstairs, big lounge downstairs. We were hanging out there. Yeah, this is great. Okay, let's check out upstairs. So we go upstairs and like the ceiling, <laughs> I'm about six foot, right? And the ceiling of upstairs is about four and a half feet. <laughs> so it was kind of like a dollhouse kind of thing. And there were two <laughs> bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs with like regular beds in them. I mean, single beds, but regular beds, and chest of drawers and everything. But the ceiling like capped out at about four and a half feet. What? And it was the strangest thing. And, oh man, we laughed for many hours about that. But, and we all had very sore backs yeah. and sore heads from, from bumming heads. <laughs> you know, like you sit up in bed, bang. Yeah. That was a, yeah, that was a good, that was, we worked our asses off. And we, you know, that whole thing, we, it was a, we struggled in terms of like we hustled real hard but for me those things are the enjoyable they're the really enjoyable yeah. ones they're the me- they're memorable ones yeah um we went daryl beaten band um i'm not sure if you've you should interview daryl for sure Been trying. 
Yeah, he's a busy man. He is. So you lock him down, but you know, we were lucky enough to go to Japan a few times. Yeah. And again, like major hustle to do it. The the first trip the band went on, I think was thirty shows in twenty eight days. Yeah. Or something, with I remember public s- public transport, trolleys, yeah, just right. everything hustling from club to club. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing some videos of that. Just crazy. Yeah. I didn't go on the first trip. I went on the oh. next two. Okay. Um, but, you know, and, and they were all equally just, we were hustling. Yep. And it was just that whole thing of a collective working towards something, scraping by, making great music and having a good time with yep. your mates. You know, that's the best. Um, and as opposed to if you, you know, some of the session stuff we all get to do is great and all, and it's good for your profile and stuff like that. But it's you don't have that personal connection, and you don't have that feeling of satisfaction of oh man, I just like did fuck thirty gigs in twenty eight days, and I made eight bucks, and that's (laughs) awesome. You know, feeling really proud of that. You know, yeah. Um, And yeah, I've been lucky to travel around. I've been to I went to Alaska. I've travelled in Alaska. Yeah. Did you play there? Yeah, yeah. I've toured up there two or three times. Right. That's like where the sun doesn't set in summer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's crazy yeah. and there's a real crazy energy uh, because of that you know because the other six months is darkness mm. well for kind of three months like the sun the sun doesn't come up so it, so it's darkness all the time and so there's a pretty intense energy up there actually one time uh, one of my f- most favourite touring memories comes from Alaska man I'm trying to think if I spoke about this on the other podcast. But we were travelling from one town to another on this on this uh on this small boat, probably about the size of this this room, like it was a little charter fishing boat. And uh you could either take a very long road round to get or you could go point to point on this boat, about a two hour trip. And glaciers coming down on one side forest coming down on the other side wow. down into the water and then this little opening which went out to the open ocean and um, and the captain of the boat he stops the engine at one point and points and goes to, and there's water spouts coming out of the water and we pull up and there's whales like 100 metres ahead of us and they come right up to the boat I'm talking like 2 metres away from the boat and pull up right next to us that was incredible and I got it all on digital camera the first digital camera the first Sony one cost me a fortune tiny screen (laughs) and uh, that my tour bag got stolen later that tour I lost it all but man that was a memory that will stay with me forever for sure that's cool Um, yeah I mean often I kind of was trying to think about various things to talk about today and and I just keep thinking about what a what a vehicle the music has been for sounds like it me and and you know, others who have been lucky enough to do it. Yeah. And it, it really gets you to different corners of the world. I don't know if I'd ever, I'd ever travel to those places otherwise. by myself. Otherwise, in any way. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for people that, and I've got a bunch of friends who are like, I have a really dear friend in Melbourne who's recently decided she's going to quit a very high-paying job, and she wants to travel through Europe for six months, mm. and by herself. And she's just done that. And I like I could never do that because I've, I've come up with the comfort of generally being with a group yeah, yeah. and in hotels most of the time. For or, a reason. You know, yeah. um, so I've been, I've been really lucky like that. 
for sure. Yep. So over your travels, you would—I mean—you've met hundreds and hundreds of people. Who are some famous, sort of big name um, artists, singers? I've been lucky to meet a lot of super famous drummers, like people I really respect. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, it feels weird name dropping them. But like I got to meet and and hang out with Chris Coleman, who's a Father monster. Yeah, you're a drummer, you know. Um, and this is through my relationships with Sonor. Sure. You know, and I've got to hang out, hang out with him a few times now, and and we we stay in contact over phone every now and then. He just looks like he's always happy. That far. Yeah, that's the energy that he gives uh, okay, off right. when you're just hanging out with him too. Yeah. Um, uh, I went out to dinner with Jojo Mayer, mm. uh, and when Benny Greb was here, I looked after him when he was here, and Steve Smith and Thomas Lang, a few. A few, lots of those dudes. Chris Dave, um, I, I get to hang out with a bit occasionally and we stay, we stay in touch. But, and I have met lots of like, I mean, that's what, they're the musicians, they're the people that I kind of click into as opposed to like the front. Yep. And I have met, I, I guess I have met a lot of those people, but I, like I never take photos and I never do that kind of thing of taking photos with them or like raving about that. But one of the cool, the, I reckon the coolest person uh, I ended up taking Bonnie Raitt out to dinner oh. one time with her. her How did and, that come about? Well, her production manager is a friend of mine, lovely, lovely guy, and I met him when he was touring with Angelique Kidjo as well, and I knew someone else in her band, crossed paths with them many times around the world. And, um, and he's been her production manager for 20 years, for Bonnie Raitt. And so when he was in town with her... We'd organised to go to dinner, yeah, and then just before I was picking up, he texts me and goes, "Oh, Bonnie's coming too." Sweet. I mean, like, she's just the coolest person. She's she must be seventy now. Mm. My mum just turned seventy. She's my mum's age. My mum just turned seventy, and uh, who's my mum's very cool too. But Bonnie Wright, my mum can't play guitar like Bonnie Wright yeah, can oh, play guitar. Yeah. But just cool. She was just a. It was just a really lovely lovely um you know there was no kind of i mean you're not going to be a diva at 70 anyway are you gonna yep. you've, you've lived life you you know what's real and what's not and particularly in her scene but just what a what a lovely person you know and um you know i went to the show the next you know she, she got me tickets for the show the next day and and i got to take a few of the i got to take karen which is cool um who i know you interviewed recently um karen lee andrews and um, I got to take Tandy and, and my girlfriend and and we got to go and see the show and it was just incredible. I think that that's, that song, I Can't Make You Love Me, is, is arguably the most perfect song mm. in terms of its delivery, its melody. It's just perfect. And, you know, after the show, she had to do this meet and greet thing and, you know, she has to do that stuff. But... She sent her. She sent a runner to come and find me to tell me and my people to just hang out and wait because she wanted to come and hang out with us and just and just hang out with us and like that was just cool. She was just cool, and yeah, I've been lucky to 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 work with or meet lots of super cool people. But she's super cool in That's terms cool. of someone I just got to meet. Yeah. I never got to play with her. Right. Uh, the drummer Ricky Fatar, who plays for her, is he's been a long time. Yeah 
guy for her and he's incredible. He used to live in Australia as well, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, who else? I tell you who's super cool, uh, uh, lucky enough to play for two Tina Arenas. Yeah. He's super cool. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Just, well, just super cool. I, I, yeah. Um, just so down to earth and what an incredible artist and what an incredible body of work she has and an incredible singer. Um, and I did a bunch of shows for her last year when her, when her tour finished and the, the, she had an old Australian band and except for the drummer um, was here from Belgium, I think, and she knew him from when she used to live in, in France and they worked together. Okay. But then when the tour finished, he went home and she then had a bunch of stuff in Australia and I ended up picking up that gig and <clears throat> did a bunch of stuff with her. It was just a, a real honour to play with her and and the band were really lovely to play with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone who's been doing it for that long is, is going to be cool, but I, did, yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, she's really enjoyable to work with and, and makes makes you feel welcome on your first gig or your first rehearsal and like she did it with me and then a few shows later we had a new bass player enter the enter the band and I I really got to watch from now someone who was in the band I got to watch how she made this person feel so welcome great uh from the outset and included and and equal at all times yeah you know and I just think that's cool um and that's the thing with session gigs like you don't you never you never know if you're I don't know if I'm I think I'm still on the gig she's been doing she's been doing different gigs okay uh, she's been doing a Vita here yep. in Sydney and then that's just finished and goes to Melbourne but mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping that when she picks up doing band stuff again that I'm still on that but you never know you never right you never know with this, this, you know there's no yeah. there's no committed agreement yeah yeah, yeah. Um, see but, with Tina Arena when I first moved to Australia um, it's around the time her, her first album came out and that yeah. was the soundtrack to the first, say, three months of my time in, in Australia. In Australia, yep. And then when we finally moved out, in a, out of an apartment um, in Maryland and moved to Northmead into a house, I was able to set my drums up. Because yeah. my, my drums had come over on a container. You're right. Yeah, so they were here and I could play them. And that album, yeah. Daryl Braithwaite's Rise. Yep. Um, um, Whispering Jack. Yeah, they all came out, man, and that I just that jammed. Was the time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Whispering Jack had been out much longer than that, but it's just yeah. something I pulled out to to jam with. You know, you should talk to John Corniola. Oh yeah, who, who yep. plays for uh, for Braithwaite. Oh yeah, yeah. Because um, John Watson used to, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Who was um, I talking to? Oh, I was talking to Adam oh, about yeah. this because Adam played with um, John Watson. And, yeah, man. Adam is a monster. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to play with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. On the currently Andrew's gig. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a bunch of others, actually. We, we've yep. worked together on lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just an incredible player. And Absolutely. doesn't surprise me that he's played with the best of the best because he's up there with them. Humble as. Yeah. yeah. And it, he's, um, you know, when I play with Adam, even if it's just drums and bass and I play with him, he he plays, he he plays so percussively as well. So, yeah. so he he just places it where it sounds like there's more there's more happening even when there's not. Just what he he has a really great he's he's got a great ear for percussion. He's actually a pretty cool percussionist as well. Yeah. And um, 
you know, he's a powerhouse and he, he lays his, his thumb on that bass is yep. as heavy as my kick drum. So it's, it's, yep. equal, it's equally there. So yeah. Have you seen yeah. him play with Toru? Uh, only, Shane and Rap. Yeah, only one time. <laughs> lead bassist, man. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen him do his yeah. lead hey, thing Raph, with various get the, things. Get out of the way, Raf. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we've got, actually him and I are doing a bunch of shows. Well, you, you just um, interviewed Karen. Yep. But yep. we're doing, That's that tour starts this week, week, I think. This week, yeah, yeah next, next week. And we go, um, it's New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. She's... Amazing. Maybe some stuff next year, she said, but she can't reveal. Oh, I can reveal. There's definitely some stuff next year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, she said I mean, it definitely is, but she couldn't yeah. say what it was. Yeah, yeah there's a bunch of stuff, Yeah. Um, which is great. It's actually, it's really great. She sent me a whole bunch of dates. Awesome. Like, for next year already, like, great. into mid-year, some different events and stuff, which is great. good. Yep. She's world-class. Oh, yeah. She is world-class. Something else. Yeah, truly. Yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have... To, more than anything, as much as I, I love fancy musicianship and all that kind of stuff, more than anything, I love singers. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, like, everything that I do and, and almost most of the genres that I, that I play, <clears throat> it's all about the singers. And I, I've got to work with some just incredible singers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what really gets me off in terms of, in terms of playing, when you, when you get to sit behind someone who's... Just and it, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the voice has to be technical. I got you. Might be the way they tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Daniel March is one of my favourite storytellers when it comes to music. Okay. If you can talk, to, and I've been trying just, to been trying to yeah we've been trying to put something together. Weapon musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've I got a ZP a couple of weeks ago. I was actually incredible. Listening World to class, it yesterday. Man. Yeah. That thing. Is, While I was sanding the wall at home, I, I had <laughs> world class. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I I mainly wound up working with, with female vocalists. Mm. I think about it, um, but yeah, I've I've found myself very fortunate to work with really great singers mm. in that way. So, what do you enjoy playing the most? Stylistically, yeah. Um, well, I think I'm really lucky because I I play a lot of different. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of different styles with a. So currently, Andrews who. Um, she is a le- the most legitimate soul, yeah. blues soul singer ever, you know, and it's very, the music is simple. There's a lot of space and she's a great guitarist. Great. And so it's very raw. That's very raw and, and, uh, and heartfelt. So that satisfies a certain pocket for me, you know, and then I, I get to play with this Tandy Phoenix project I'm doing um, is a lot more electronic. You know, we, we run a lot of track and we have a lot of electronic toys that we're playing and samplers and, and all sorts of things and, and that really gets to satisfy that part of what I do. And um, and then I play with this other artist, um, Joy, the, who I recently toured in Europe with. And, and she's... It's very contained. There's electronics... But a lot of space. She she told me the other day that uh, when she she was born to the Enya sound. Enya was playing when Is she was right? born, and and it's like that. And therefore, well, it kind of actually explains some of the sonics that oh, she okay. yep. is a lot of just beautiful, pretty melodies, but electronic as well. Like yep. you know, she's an incredible producer. She's twenty years old, and 
writes her own stuff, produces her own stuff, plays piano beautifully, sings like an angel. And that stuff is, is very, um, you're playing electronics, but having to play very contained because you're replicating the record, you know, um, and that satisfies that particular thing. And then I, I work with DJs often where I'm playing um, either like electronic percussion or, or kind of Latin percussion stuff which I don't do very well, but I enjoy it, yep. you know, if, if I'm digging the tunes. Yep. And that satisfies that. And then I get to do some singer-songwriter stuff with people where I'm just playing cajon. Again, I don't do it in a traditional way and, or super amazingly, but I enjoy it and that satisfies that. So um, I, get to sp- I get to spread out my musical brain a bit mm. across a few do different you get to, styles. Do you get to chop it up? much um the, the most that we like really get to dig in is if i'm playing uh on like covers gigs where we really have room to play okay yeah good. um you know and uh, i'll often work with with daryl who's yeah. the, the master of that mm-hmm. that stuff like if, if i'm putting a covers band together i'll generally I'll be daryl and adam and and you know various singers up front but where we just get to kind of stretch out a little bit but you know i'm not much of a chopper but you know musically we get to push we get to push out yep a bit, even if it's covers, we'll take it on a bit of a journey. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so I get, I get to, I don't know if I have a favorite. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I could do just the one thing forever. Sometimes, like something will take precedent for a while if it's on tour or something. That's another discipline in itself where you play the same thing yeah. for 20 shows straight right. um, and still find the passion and the, the joy in that, you know, or, or ways to make it feel different if that's what you've got to do or ways to perfect it and make it feel exactly right, exactly the same every time, different headsets and different approaches, you know. But um, I really, I like it. Like right now, I'm, I've, I just, I'm playing for a Canadian country artist coming up this weekend. Mm. I just got sent the songs this morning. Mm. And so I'm it's the first country artist I've played for. Right. And so I'm learning... I'm learning that, not that country music's hard, but I, I tell you what, Whoa. country, it's not hard, but it's the musicianship. Got a pocket, it's got a pocket, yeah, oh my of God. its own, yeah, yeah. If you watch any of those big country acts, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 50 guitars on stage, but it never sounds excessive. Yeah. Everyone's playing their part, and they can all sing beautifully, they can all play yeah. their instrument beautifully, and they play songs, yeah. which is the most important part, you know, the song is the most important part, Yeah. you know. See, one of my favourite, early on, one of my favourite drummers was Paul Leem. Who? He, Paul Leem, he's a Nashville right. country drummer. Oh, man. Oh, Just, yeah. I don't listen to a lot of the country, but right. anytime yeah. I'm watching, anytime I'm, like, if there's stuff like, sometimes it's like Country Music Awards or if you, you see it on TV for something, yeah, it's always, like, world class. Yeah. There's yeah. A, no bullshit with the singers either. No, you know? at all. Yeah. yeah. All got that twang. Well, so when we were in South, on the last day of South by Southwest, you know, the conference was finished. It was the day before we were flying out. We went to the, the Austin Rodeo, which felt like a real kitsch thing to do, you know. It yeah. felt like just this novelty thing. But it was what they do. Like, it's what they do every, every day. So we went, we went with Tandy's band, you know, and management. And there's, you know, there's this electronic kind of thing. We, we went to the rodeo. Everyone's wearing their big bucket hats <laughs> not because it's the thing to do it's because yeah. it's it's what they do it's just their every day and yeah. we watched them do the the bull riding and the 
the horse roping and all that yep. kind of stuff. It was kind of hard to watch, to be honest. I, I found like some of where they release a young calf and then they chase it down with a lasso and lasso it and yeah. catch it. it was looked pretty brutal and rough and then they let it go and the next person catches it you know yeah, but yeah. but um that that was uh, uh that was funny to see it was funny to see to be a part of that whole thing and the, the fairground and all that kind of stuff fairy floss and big southern american accents and hats and belt buckles and checker shirts and plenty of gun racks on the back of cars and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and but then you know the closing thing was that they had a couple of big country artists that came in on the back of a truck into the arena, you know, came in playing, being towed by this, the stage is being towed by this truck and they're playing, and they're, you know, <laughs> that kind of goes around the arena and then turns around and they're just playing like, you know, my truck broke down, my woman left me, the whole, the, the whole, whole thing. thing, the whole, <laughs> it is a cliche, but it's, yeah. it's spot on. And, and my dog got run over by yeah, the yeah. truck. Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, <laughs> but it was great, you know, great musicians. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, man. Musically, I I spread a bit, but I, it's not it's not like I I push into any obscure stuff. Yeah, you know, sort of I stay, wish, stay in your lane, so to speak. Well, stay in my lane, stay in my capabilities too. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone booked me for like a serious jazz gig, you know, it'd be embarrassing. Yeah. For them, because I'm not that person, mm-hmm. you know. And same with Latin stuff. I I wish that I grew up around Latin music. You know, like serious the heavy stuff I just think it's incredible the way that it flows and and but it's just not something that is is in my blood yeah. you know well, I, didn't, I didn't come up around it so I, I love this talking about world class musicians some of the Latin players we have here I was about to say yeah man yep scary like just yep. uh, well, I I can't comprehend what they're doing mm-hmm. or how they're doing it while playing like the timbales and the bells yeah and these obscure patterns and yeah. the, the pulse of it, yeah, you know the the way that it moves more like a heartbeat than anything else, you know. Man, I'm just rambling now, aren't I? No, that's all good. <laughs> um, well, we'll sort of close it out with um, how do you see the next twelve months? Man, next twelve months, you know. Well, a few of the projects that. I've been hammering away at with with people are uh, really starting to get legs. Cool. So I hope to be um, traveling a lot again. Great. Now, like this year, I hit nineteen countries. So now I feel like I want to go more. Yeah. Unlikely. I feel like it was a pretty yeah. lucky year, but yeah. um, I really feel like some some of the things I'm working on. Well, I think all the things I'm working on will keep growing. Yeah. Um, and which is for me the most rewarding thing just that things which I've been able to pour some energy into uh, working and just whether that means like I said earlier the next gig is bigger than the last one or the next you know travelling into state travelling overseas um, so yeah I, I hope to there's probably three or four separate projects which I am I'm a part of which I, I see growing yep some points there'll be times I'll have to depth things sure um, I've said this to a few people now and probably on the last podcast you know there, there were times on this last tour the Europe tour I did um, well, we, were, we were playing to um, up to 18,000 people a night mm. you know every night arenas and there's on stage I was often thinking is this the pinnacle 
yep. in terms of yep. size and stature of what I'm, I'll ever do. Um, but then you come back and you're um, equally energised about getting yep. the next thing to play the 200 people or 300 people. Yeah, I think people. you I'm, said I'm that. equally excited. Just podcast, you like the bass player sweat dripping on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like it, you know. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. working hard and, yeah. and you know, as fun as it is to have have crew do everything for you there's there there is a rewarding part in like doing the hard work and yeah. getting it done yeah yeah so the next 12 months i really hope that these original projects just keep taking moving forward in leaps and bounds and okay. and um and maybe develop this kind of bpm idea yeah. some yeah. more yeah. um look forward to the sausage sizzle down at the bunnings yeah <laughs> That'll be the launch party. <laughs> launch party. Cheapest launch party. Yeah, yeah. Two dollars fifty. Where are all the sausages? Oh, <laughs> shit. Sorry, bro. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll uh, just keep on moving forward with all things, hopefully, and um, also some holiday time. Yeah, great. really important for me to see my brothers. Um, I got to see my. I got to see all my brothers this year. Right. No, one of my brothers I didn't get to see this year, so it means I'll, I'll definitely go to the States, maybe even before the end of the year, just for yep. a quick trip. Yep. But if not next year, I'm planning a trip to Barbados with my partner. She's, she's from Barbados. Cool. And uh, we want to go over there, which means generally traveling through US and, right. and West Coast, East Coast, onto Barbados. So yeah, travel. Travel and fit the music in there to hopefully pay for the travel. Great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, in Boston, this was fantastic, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, wish you all the best for next four months. Oh, thanks for spending the and time. Too easy. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. No, you're right. See, oh, when yeah. you ramble, I don't have to talk. People don't want to hear me talk. Yeah. I know that you'll probably send me a copy of this to listen to before yeah, it yeah. goes out. And yeah. I'm already dreading it. Uh, no, I man, can't even remember no. what I talked about now. No. I'm just sweating. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Cheers, Lovely. bro. Oh, thank Thanks you. For Thanks for coming. No, sweet.